welcome back once again to your favorite time of the week with Disruptive AF. It's your edge of innovation right here with yours truly, Trigger Jordan, and my astute host as well, Dan Holter. Dan, what's going on this week? Astute, you're you're astute. I, you know, this is my favorite time of the week, and it's been a couple of weeks since we I'll recorded, so I'm just super excited to be back, especially uh, talking about dual use with our uh, with our guest this week. You want to kick it off? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, you may not realize it. Yeah, we had a couple of weeks break. It was great. It was going through withdrawal. Uh, Jordan does such a great job of producing this in, uh, you know, entire uh, disruptive AF podcast. You guys didn't even notice we took a break. And that's the goal because when we come back, we're covering great topics like this exactly. Today, our guest with us, who is huge in the innovation circuit and the innovation ecosystem across the DoD and the, specifically the Air Force is Jason Rasty. Now he's the director for the AFWorks AF Venture. Now you may not understand what AF Venture is, but for me, the light bulb came on when we were talking about um, venture capital and the investment sector of, of, of how we do innovation. Now he, as a director, not only implements novel initiatives to mature transition and dual use technology ventures, uh, but he does it by building relationships between commercial solution providers, if you will, and the Air Force problem owners to scale really the successful problem solution matches, which is huge. And I know it's a lot of words, but you got to think about it. You know, when you're bringing these technologies in, you have to have somebody who understands industry and somebody who understands the process and be able to connect those two uh, and the warfighter. So welcome, Jason, Director of AF Ventures. It's so good to have you with you right here on Disruptive AF. Welcome, man. All right. Thanks for having me, guys. Excited to be here. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So if you will tell us, kind of take us back a little bit because we're talking about um, not just AF Ventures, but I don't think a lot of people really understand the transition to AFWorks and the growth that they've made recently as this kind of launch of AFWorks 2.0. And everybody looks at AFWorks and is like, hey, you're Air Force Innovation. True, but there's a lot more to that. So there's really three different peers, um, uh, pillars, if you will, of what that looks like. So you want to talk us through what those are and kind of where AF Ventures rests in that? Absolutely. First, I just want to uh, say I'm a huge fan of Disruptive AF. I know you guys yeah, are young, <laughs> but uh, you've, been, you've been absolutely crushing it. I'm excited to see what the future holds for the podcast. Um, you know, AFWorks has gone through a relatively recent transition. In June, there was a, a reorganization. Uh, AFWorks, what we affectionately called 2.0, was stood up, but same AFWorks, same group expansion. Yeah, of the yeah. organization and growth of the organization with some new reorganization within that. Uh, there's there's now one large AFWorks that holds three divisions, three pillars. The first division is the AFWorks uh, that a lot of people have grown up to to know and love as uh, is called the Airman Empowerment Division. Uh, the second uh, is uh, is the what we call the prime division. Now, this yeah. this division is, is pretty new, I would say, probably the newest to the AFWorks ecosystem. Although we've done a lot of work with Agility Prime in the past, you know, and I'll get into this in a second, but really a, a power a powerful game changer for the Air Force, uh, in my personal opinion. I think a lot of, brings a lot of punch to the fight and works not only within the Air Force, but with commercial markets and commercial technological innovation to establish new markets for, for future Air Force needs. And then the third is AF Ventures. And, and, and yeah. uh, what we're doing with AF Ventures is focusing on commercial technology across the board. The narrative uh, that, that we're building uh, to is connecting, like you said, 
commercial technological solution uh, with with empowered airmen for for strategic effect, right? And yeah, so when you have this yeah. strategic effect, you're thinking the prime programs, you're thinking these massive game changer type uh, uh, flying car type um, investment uh, theses that were rolling across the board. Yeah, that's man. That's that's uh, there's a lot there. There's a lot going on in the innovation circuit. But one of the things that I do not want to skip over, Dan, and I'm sure that you're reading through his bio as well, is that you know prior to taking over as the director for App Ventures, you spent a lot of time really in in, in industry researching the the intersections between entrepreneurship and innovation and nas- national security, uh, specifically in the Stanford uh, Stanford's uh, management science and engineering department. Uh, so will you tell us a little bit about that specialized technology entrepreneurship strategy that you did and kind of what your experience was that led to getting into AF Ventures um, that kind of led you into into that cross-section? Absolutely. So, uh, you know, my, my innovation story was one fraught with uh, hatred for the word innovation. And that's really where this all all started. It started it sounds with all too familiar <laughs> disgust of, of people saying innovation. And, um, you know, it, yeah. it, it, for me, it really started in 2014. I started my career as a um, as an engineer in the Air Force, uh, an aeronautical engineering background. I did some time in big acquisition program offices. I did some time in the lab, I spent the last few years working and uh, doing flight tests on AC 130s which is you know, the best job in the Air Force, in my opinion. But then I transitioned to uh, what we call a core program management role into bread and butter acquisitions at Hanscom Air Force Base. Um, and at the time, I was rotating into this new role, more on the management side, less on the engineering side. And uh, the Air Force was rolling out a message around every airman and innovator. Um, everybody needs to innovate. And this was yeah, plastered yeah. all over the Air Force Base, and nobody defined what innovation meant. Yeah, you know, I didn't know what that meant. I was frustrated by the message, and as an engineer, I'm like, "Yeah, we innovate it all the time. You know, we go build something new. I put it on a jet. You know, great. Yeah. It works. It doesn't work. Yeah, and that's innovation. And and uh, but the message they were pushing was different from what I was interpreting. And so, at the same time, my my wife was actually going back to business school, and. Uh, through a set of, uh, of of her peers and other friends that I had um, the, the opportunity and the privilege of meeting while at, at Hanscom, I got connected to some of the faculty at her school who really gave me an opportunity to deep dive into what the corporate strategy world considers technological innovation and strategy yeah. around technological innovation. And there's a rich literature in economic theory regarding innovation uh, in, in the way that I defined innovation and still define innovation today is driving efficiencies to the market. And it's a very simple definition. Uh, it doesn't mean you're creating anything new. Innovation is not invention. It could use invention, but it's all about driving efficiencies to the market, whether that's through a new product, new supply, or some kind of new process. Um, innovation can be all encompassing, but the outcomes really have to be about those efficiency gains. And when I say efficiencies, I really mean the economic term of efficiencies, driving down costs, increasing performance, you know, decreasing time, right? The utilization of scarce resources in a more efficient manner, 
Yeah. Now, yeah. Um, I really like, yeah. I like how you're digging into that experience of hearing, you know, like what you were seeing as the promotion of like innovation theater essentially. Um, and, and how frustrating that was for you at, in the, in the role that you, that you were in, um, and the importance of kind of approaching an innovation strategy from a multi-user perspective, which I think a lot of people aren't. There's like the overall strategic perspective, which doesn't get to the heart of the experience of innovation that people need to feel in order to feel like they're, you know, like contributing to increase that increased value or that increased efficiency. And then, th but then there's like, if you only focus on the experience of innovation for the, like that empowerment level, then you don't, you don't actually get to the overall strategy. So it's the importance of kind of marrying those, those experiences and making sure we don't lose people along the way because their, their perspective isn't being represented in what our strategy is. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you, you hit the nail on the head, you know, for me, I think, you know, anybody can be an innovator. Any airman can can innovate, but it does have to be connected to outcomes, right? And yeah. so there is a trial and error process. There are failures along the way, but there are objective uh, criteria that you're looking to innovate on. You know, what have you done with that innovation? And, and that to me is where, you know, the separation between, you know, innovation theater might be and in what I would consider, you know, true innovation. Uh, within the process. And and I think a lot of the programs that we have at AF Ventures focus on the innovation game because that's where the commercial sector is. And, and uh, you know, I'm happy to, to dive into what I spent my time doing at Stanford. But, you know, the, the real um, uh, fact of the matter is, is that companies care about gaining economic returns from their investments, right? right? And so those are gained through economic innovation, those efficiency gains, materializing profit, materializing revenue, materializing growth, right? And that's where I think we can do a really good job of aligning the Air Force's innovation outcome criteria. What are we thinking about from an innovation perspective, whether that's through transition, increase in performance, all these other things that we look for as an acquisition community and an operational community um, and where commercial uh, innovation is happening and, and what the, the reasoning for both although you may think are two very different lens, actually in, in the AppVentures perspective are extremely well aligned. Mm -hmm. um, so I think, Dan, yeah, Daniel, you hit, you hit the nail on the head there. Let's take a pit stop right there because you said something really interesting about the economic importance of being able to see that, that, that either the profit or the, the um, payback by making that initial investment. So historically, I think just for the average person that probably watch the, watches the podcast or thinks about Air Force innovation, you think about the government as well, how does that apply? Because we don't necessarily have an ROI that we're immediately going for. You know, we're not a commercial entity trying to compete for the necessity of being number one in the market. Uh, so how do you take that comparison between what's happening on an economic scale in the sense of why companies compete to be the best? Because there is a profit and where do you find that congruence in the military? Because it's not unbeknownst to all of us. We live on a palm cycle, right? So when you're talking about um, creativity, you're starting something now that may not you may not see a return for several years and you're going to be gone <laughs> out of the position. It's going to be your predecessor or it's going to be the person that takes over for you that's going to see the benefits of what that is. So how do you how do you make that that mindset shift of how are we actually value? How are we identifying what we value for the return of the profit? In, in terms of the investment, if that makes sense. Uh, absolutely. And, and the, uh, you hit, I think you hit on a couple different themes that are important to the discussion. You know, the first is 
aligning of incentives. So when you think about this from from the context of uh, relationships between for-profit companies in the government sector, mm-hmm. you know, the, the, to your point, you know, the incentive for, for creation and innovation is, is profitability is, you know, for, in the, for the sector we tend to deal a lot with, which is the, you know, high growth startup sector, it's growth uh, and revenue uh, over profit, but there's, there is an objective ends to, you know, the, 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 the um, investment that the commercial company and their investors are making mm-hmm. in that company. Uh, on the government side, our ROI is mission success, is mission effectiveness. And, and I think when you look at the DOD, and one of the things that really separates us from a lot of other investment type organizations within the government space is that we are a mission organization. R&D funding only makes up a small percentage of our overall expenditures. Yeah. The vast majority of this comes from operations and sustainment funding. I mean, the 80% of our budget, uh, it really comes from things that are already in the field currently working. And so I think, you know, there, there's some really great case examples where you're aligning those incentives, you're aligning the profitability incentive with the, the effectiveness incentives on the government side so that there's a clear overlap that assists in the second theme that you're talking about, which is that transition into POM cycle. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the, the, I guess the, the best way that I could describe this is is under the app ventures lens. So when when we we app ventures uh, executes a number of of um, what I call financial instruments, a number of funds, if you will, that we use to invest in companies to assist in their abilities to develop technologies, products, and services that will transition to the user. But the way we measure our own ROI is by the transition itself, right? So. If a technology doesn't transition, we've made a an investment that hasn't resulted in ROI for us or the Air Force. Yeah. Now we have an investment thesis that also bakes in failures, um, which I can go into later. But but really, the success of our organization is baked upon how how much how many companies can transition their technologies and what yeah. the effectiveness those of those are in a mission context. But in yeah. that in that metric, we've now found complete alignment because for companies that we invest in, our investment is a non-recurring investment. So we only invest once or twice into a company for a handful of dollars. What that company is interested in is revenue. It is profitability. You don't get that from working with us. You get that from working with somebody who's buying your product or service. You get it from the guys who are owning the 80% of the budget on the back end, that operations sustainment costs, not us, right? And so pathways to what we call annual recurring revenue, ARR, for companies completely align with transition objectives for the Air Force. And where we find that alignment is where we can match those incentives together. Now, we also know that funding is needed along the way because without that funding, you're gonna hit those palm cycle issues, right? that we're spending money on other things and our acquisition process as a federal space is um, complicated and tied to existing things, which we all fight when we're trying to innovate. We're trying to create new uh, market efficiencies. So what we do with our funding is we, we create that uh, insertion of dollars so that we can get from where the company is today to that next palm cycle, to that next, next iteration. Now, the, that is the worst case scenario. Really, the best case scenario is when you're spending money on one thing today, 
This other thing comes along, replaces that job entirely, but does it better, more cost-effective with better performance. Now you have, again, what I would call the truest definition of innovation, the simplest definition, you've created a market efficiency. We're creating competitions to engender that efficiency. So a company can come in and work with an end user to create efficiencies where there weren't before. And just that palm money, if done correctly, if set in the budget correctly, is tied to a requirement, not a capability. The requirement is being met by a different company with a better product. And that's where we can enhance innovation in the commercial sector. The better we do our job, the more competitive it's going to be on the commercial sector, because now they're finding pathways to ARR, which are really, are really kind of the objective outcome for many of the companies that we deal with. So if, if we can pause right there for a second, because you also mentioned something about, you know, a lot of times the goal is to be able to transition these technologies, these capabilities to the long term, to be able to get into the hands of the individuals and the people and the operators who need them. And I know, you know, you and I have talked about this several times before, but we've seen, you know, there was this boom of innovation across the Air Force that we all experienced about three years ago ish, somewhere around there. Um, uh, you saw this boom of innovation and then you see people getting into whether it's the SBIR process, um, getting phase one, phase twos with these companies that are really excited about the technology. Um, but then the, sometimes the inability to be able to get the, the long-term money, the financing, the sustainment are connected to a program office to actually carry this out. So now there's organizations and units that are having to fund this thing for the next five years because there's no way for them to get it into the palm. There's no way to be able to do that because it wasn't planned for, you know, several years before. So what does that look like in the terms of, you know, the early investment, the early adoption of making those intentional steps for the long-term sustainment? What does it look like to be able to transition those things that people are seeing the goodness of it? And everybody looks at the, I mean, we all have examples of this. Everybody looks at the technology or the process or the company and they're like, oh my gosh, this solves all of our problems and realize, but there's no sustainment to it because where does it go from here? You know, so wh what does that look like? And kind of where are we at in the space for seeing what that next step is? Yeah, no, I mean, I think this is a, uh, another great point. The, the way that we've been operating um, in the AppVentures context is trying to use our funds to incentivize not only the commercial partners to come on board and increase participation with, you know, just, fantastic companies that are producing this amazing technology, but also bring in the Air Force, right? Because yeah, at the yeah. end of the day, we need to attract people outside of what their day-to-day -day is to look at these companies as a potential capability provider. As a program manager, you know, I want the, the lowest risk possible uh, pathway to get capability into the field. So now you're talking about a new technology it's never really been demonstrated before. You're working in yeah. a new space. That's a difficult decision for a program manager to make from a risk perspective. So we yeah. de-risk this investment with money, which has helped bring more people to the table. Yeah. I think what you're hitting on is something that 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 we look at from a scale perspective. So, uh, you know, and, and I'm going to talk about some other things in a second based upon the work that you're doing right now, which I think is absolutely needed. But the way that, that we look at it from an adventurous perspective is we have a very small team. The way we really push the types of behaviors we want to see is through increasing capital investments. So we have programs like the Strategic Fund Increase Program, the Stratify program, where we require MAGCOM, A58, and PEO participation in signed memorandum in order for us to even consider funding the company 
for yeah. uh, an extension contract. Now, yeah. that extension contract last year was up to $30 million of government funds, right? So we brought $15 million to bear, but we also required over a four-year span, our government partners to also bring that dollar-for-dollar dollar match into yeah. the game. So it put their skin in the game, and it ensured that the Magicom A58 who's going to be making those POM decisions is aware of what's happening and understands the implications of the investment. Now, yeah. is that always, is that, is that, are we batting 100% there? No, we're not. And I think there's a lot of additional work that needs to be done from a outreach and comms perspective, from a cultural perspective, and just from an understanding of the ecosystem perspective that hasn't happened. But there are some commands that have done an extremely good job of it, like AFSOC, who's, who's really gone above and beyond and has shown and demonstrated their ability time and time again to lean forward in a lot of these areas. SMC is another area where I've seen a lot of incredible work uh, by, by their organization in order to lean forward here and partner with their, their respective MAGCOMs. Yeah, uh, but you're right. You know, the, the you need it's not only the unit on the ground that is going to be part of this decision making process. It's the acquisition community leadership and the PEOs. It's yeah. the Magcom leaderships and the and the requirements and palm shops that do this work. That you need to bring all of those folks together. Yeah, that's huge. This is going to be a perfect time to be able to take a break because where we dive back into right after break is going to be kind of that huge next step of what do we do? Because there's a lot of organizations, there's a lot of businesses, whether it's a squadron group, wing numbered air force, people looking at these projects they have and they're like, this is great. But what do I do to finish? You know, uh, so when we come right back on Disruptive AF, Dan's going to bring us in, launch us into that discussion right here. Again, you got Jason Rathji, the director for for AF Ventures within AFWorks, right here on your favorite podcast, The Edge of Innovation, Disruptive AF. Are you listening to this podcast and wondering what you should do to get started? Join AFWorks weekly office hours call to hear about different resources and programs available to you and the rest of the defense innovation community. Tune in at the link in the show notes every Monday at 1 p.m. Central to hear more. Hey, welcome back to Disruptive AF, the edge of innovation, as my co-host Trigger Jordan likes to say. Um, your favorite Jordan. podcast about Air Force and DOD innovation. We're here talking to Jason Rathji, the uh, director of AFWorks AF Ventures program. Uh, and he gave us a really good rundown before the break of some of the underlying logic behind the existence of mm -hmm. the AF Ventures program, some of the, the incentives that need to be aligned, some of the people and the partners that need to be involved, and their, their incentives need to be like uh, leveled, I would guess, so that, um, so that they're all properly invested in the process and then seeing it, it uh, go to fruition. Um, so, uh, before we get into how people can plug into these processes and these things that AF Ventures offers, um, do you want to give us a quick rundown of kind of the history of how it was stood up and, and kind of some of the, some of the main pillars of the program itself? Yeah. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I, um, you know, the, the, the beginning of AF Ventures was, uh, really, uh, like anything in AFWorks a team sport, including many, many different individuals along the way. In 2018, I was uh, halfway through my program at Stanford uh, and I got contacted by a guy I actually graduated 
um, undergrad with, uh, Chris Benson, uh, who is an ROTC uh, classmate of mine. And uh, he had the opportunity to do an experiment with the Air Force SBIR program. He wanted to know if I wanted to help out. At the time, I was doing research in this space, and I was really one of the big fundamental papers or questions I was asking is, you know, does it make sense for a company to partner with the cyber office? Um, I'm not, uh, uh, that, that, that research was, I think, uh, is still ongoing and, and has a lot of interesting outcomes, but uh, the, one of the, the, the uh, interesting results from that program uh, was uh, that uh, we thought that there was a good opportunity to do some pretty special things with the Air Force's SBIR program and utilize some of the different aspects from other SBIR programs as well across the federal space, as well as bring in some stuff from overseas. And so we started working with multiple programs to build, a, build an approach to SBIR that was really focused on bringing in external ideation, bringing in commercial tech and aligning incentives like we talked about. Um, so at that time, uh, we started what we called the Open Topic SBIR program. Uh, we leveraged a lot of the incredible talent at AppWorks uh, at the time. That included uh, Steve uh, Lauver, uh, Joey Aurora, um, Austin DeLorme, uh, and a number of others, uh, Tony Perez, um, and then, you know, the list goes on and on, but really there's a kind of a core group that, uh, started with this program back in, you know, the early days of, uh, June, 2018. And when we released the first open topic, it was the first of the, of its kind. The whole theory behind it was open front door. Anybody with any idea on the commercial sector can pitch it. If we like it, uh, and we evaluate that it meets the technical merits that we've put out in the solicitation, then we're going to award it a $50,000 phase one contract for three months of work. And this is totally different than anything in the Cibber program's history. It was much less money than we've awarded in the past, and it was for a much shorter period of time. But again, it all went back to aligning, to aligning incentives. Companies with, uh, even with less money on the table, with less time to do work, we tripled the previous record in the number of cyber applicants with that round alone. And the number of applicants has been growing ever since. It's really the growth of the program. I thought time is about 160. This last round, we had 1,200 applicants. So the, wow. the growth of that program and a lot of the things that we built in along the way with a special focus on private investment and syndicating with our, our venture capital and private equity partners where applicable has really birthed Ath Ventures, uh, which was the uh, one of the you know defining programs in Dr. Roper's tenure to to stand up this organization to to really capitalize on the private investment community, to leverage external creation of technologies, and drive capability to the fight. And so I think it was it, I mean it was a, a a two year kind of process to get here. Ath Ventures wasn't started overnight, but. I think in that story, something that I love to highlight is this has always been part of AFWorks. You know, I, I just came to AFWorks officially in May. I've had an AFWorks email address since June of 2018, right? Like so mm -hmm. many other AFWorks partners, you know, it's been a long time and, and AFWorks created that sandbox for us to debt, to ideate and create on, on what would become AF Ventures, which was just starting as an experimental program in partnership with the Air Force Cyber Office, who remains our partners today in this endeavor. So 
you know, really benefiting from that that sandbox that, that AFWorks has created for us and continues to create under the Airman Empowerment Division. Yeah. Yeah, I mean that's that that would be the that would be the ultimate goal of creating those sandboxes is then to scale the things that are that are functioning and and it's interesting that you say that it that it started under the Airman Empowerment uh, pillar and now it's it's now its own pillar of the of the AFWorks process. But I've I myself am one who have who have benefited from some of the platform that that AFWorks the space that they've created just for you know, like interested and curious people to do strange and new things, um, which is uh, in in a way, a lot of what you're describing with the uh, the open topic cyber is you're creating just an open space for some of this experimentation to happen. And, and I'm curious to hear your thoughts on, on how that's going and what are some of the lessons you've learned along the way, as far as, you know, alignment of those incentives. And from my perspective, one of the big questions that's still out there is validation of requirements um, in, in getting people to transition over to, you know, where, what we what I'd like to talk about next, which is how units and, uh, and individual airmen get involved or get become aware of, you know, what the, what the process in, is either getting their requirements to the people who are entering through this open front door or pulling those people who already have something that's being offered uh, through the through what uh, Aventures has accomplished so far. Yeah, when when you mentioned that, Dan, there's something that happens there that, you know, if I rewind the clock four years ago, I really had nothing, no knowledge. I was a pilot flying missions and deploying. So I had no knowledge about the understanding of how the requirement process works, how that goes up, how that comes down, what the coordination is to be able to do that. Wasn't a contracting officer, didn't understand FM, didn't understand requirements, didn't understand a lot of things. And when you take that as a as a pro- probably pretty normal snapshot of the operator who wants this good or technology uh, integrated, they find themselves in the spot of I have no idea what's supposed to come next. And it's interesting because it's not just a question of how do we do it and how does the system because really the, these the these negotiations not not negotiations but these uh, uh, discussions and these requirements are happening at a level that you know, the hierarchy of pushing it up the chain of command doesn't necessarily work as fast as even the commanders want it to. Now it's a very you know, decentralized structure where everybody's communicating, there's constant communication back and forth. So it's a really interesting, uh, I guess, challenge that we have because commanders want the information to go faster, whether it's a wing, a group, numbered Air Force, MAGCOM. Um, but that's kind of what that historic process was, was to work it through the chain of command up, get your requirements, get it to the SPO, get it to the PEO. Um, and, and Jason, I know you got a lot to offer on that, but that's some of those crunch points. People are actually feeling it right now of how do we work faster in this system? I, you know, it's, uh, it's great to hear, hear you both, uh, talk about that. You know, the, um, gosh, the requirements process is, is a, is a beast. Uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, the ability to process requirements, uh, you know, I mean, they, we talk about the acquisition process and how that's slow, you know, the process to get a requirement validated, which in the FAR states that that has to happen before the acquisition process happens is, uh, is in and of itself an extremely oh long period of time. So, you that's know, like two uh, podcasts uh, worth of info right there. <laughs> oh, Jeez, yeah, this is a whole other thing. Yeah, we should oh just do a podcast where you just read the far. That would be fantastic. <laughs> I um, the views would be you know, awesome on that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you would get. 
the viewership would be fantastic. You know, your listeners, you're gonna drive them in in droves. I, uh, you know, oh the, my but, God. but I, I think, so Dan, good. I think you, you, you hit on a lot of this uh, uh, concept of requirement validation. For for us to walk you through the app ventures process, so this is one one portion of our our, our business is focused still around Cyber and, and its sister program, the STTR program. Um, but the process is the same. Phase one, $50,000 for three months of work. At the end, you owe a report talking about how you've demonstrated technical feasibility in a mission-focused context. At, uh, to advance to phase two, you need to have a, a, um, a customer uh, uh, memo that details what requirement you're solving that has to be signed by somebody in the Air Force and mm -hmm. has to come along with a transition plan. So all of that is baked in at phase two and beyond. Everything else after phase one requires a requirement document from some organization within the Air Force. Now, we have our own processes to validate that requirement along the way. But what do we mean by a requirement? When I flew, uh, when I did flight test, a validated requirement was a 1067, right? I mean, anybody can sign a 1067 in reality. So, you know, there's, there's, uh, um, there's ways, and for those who don't know what a 1067 is, it's an aircraft modification document. Mm -hmm. That's a requirement mm -hmm. that we can use to go acquire something to modify, right? So there's there's ways to build out what we call you know official requirements. But the, our, our methodology is that we scale investment alongside with the negotiation, to use your word trigger, between the requirement and the solution. To pretend that a requirement always comes first, that a problem comes before solution, I think is 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 idealistic, right? You know, the yeah. the the fact of the matter is 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 you know, if I ask people what they wanted, they would have said a faster horse, right? The the infamous yeah. you know Henry Ford or non Henry Ford quote, depending on what history books you read. Uh, but I mean, th that's there. You know, the, the, what do you? If you ask the user what they want, they'll tell you what's in their trade space. What is my knowledge space? What do I know and understand? Yeah. And so what we do with the open topic is we try to bust those doors down, right? We try to say, look, you have no idea what you're thinking because you're focused. You know, you went to UPT, and and now you're flying missions. You don't have time to understand what's happening in the commercial trade space. You know, your mission set may have nothing. What you think the technology you need is is really nothing uh, even close to what we have to be able to provide to you. But that's a negotiation. The solutions have to be in the room with the requirements. Because yeah. if you don't, you're going to have a misinterpretation of what's in the world of the real. And that's how requirements are prioritized. By the costs associated with those requirements, by the operational impact of those requirements, all of those things are based on the solution set. And so when at the end of the day, to do one before the other is this kind of like over, over manufactured process that says the problem always has to come through the, before the solution. Now, within that though, we also don't want to invest too heavily in just a tech push model, but we want to be, bring something in that's push and pull, right? So, and this is why we have a phase one uh, that companies can submit to where they can align themselves to technological needs that folks in the Air Force say that they have, that we post in the solicitation, we post it on our website. We use uh, things like IdeaScale and work with the Airman Empowerment Division to signal to companies, hey, these are some needs that we're seeing from the field. At the same time, we don't want to limit ourselves to that, right? I mean, blue sky, we don't know what we don't know. And still any company with any idea can always apply 
to the open topic uh, because we value that and we value getting those ideas in front of users. That, Dan, that I don't know process. if that answers your question completely, but uh, but I mean it's it is it's an well, important yeah, thing that no. we continue to ideate on, yeah. Yeah, I hear that, and and I've honestly, um, you know, just to to be completely transparent, I have I have my own conflicting views about whether you know whether open topic in the first phase is is a uh, is currently being employed as a model to increase transparency about what solutions exist, and I think that might speak to whether there's complete uh, clarity across the enterprise about whether that's what's actually being pursued. Because if the value intended to be generated by providing these phase one contracts is to bring awareness, then those platforms uh, that would produce that awareness, I, I don't see them being currently in place. Um, and and so I'm a little, I, I am a little curious about that. And, and I think that maybe other people might not be on the same page. I don't want to get to, uh, too much conflicting uh, views on this, but I, I think this is the importance of diversity and thought in these conversations. To be to be completely yeah, clear. no, I, I, I Daniel, you're you're spot on. You know, a lot of our work we've spent trying to increase the platforms for companies to engage the community yeah. via the phase one process. Um, but when we started this, we always knew, and I still believe, the hardest working person in this conversation is the entrepreneur. It's not the guy in the Air Force that has the mission. It's the entrepreneur who's trying to make something for their business. They're working harder for no money than anyone else is in this equation. And so what we thought was if we give them $50,000 and we do nothing else, that they'll still do their best to find find areas to do feasibility studies. And we say technical feasibility because it's not just customer discovery. But it's, but it's also demonstrating whether or not you have traction from a technological perspective. Because at the end of the day, that's what we invest in as an Air Force. We invest in R&D. So you know, the, the, the important part of that, though, is I, at the end of the day, only have so much bandwidth. And so when we try to build these incentive packages, when our team is looking at this, what we're thinking is, how do we create the best possible chance for these companies to be successful in absentia of being able to provide all these additional resources that we want to provide. Now we're working on projects, both in the automated scaling perspective and from the physical collider perspective, right? So working with Airman Empowerment on the collider events, working with companies to do automated matching of, of companies to user needs, working on these cool chat bots, right? Tony Perez is leading some yeah. really innovative stuff in that capacity. So th there's ways that we're looking to bring that awareness yeah. Um, but, but I'll tell you that the first time we did this open topic in June of 2018, there were like three, two and a half people, I would say that were working in this. We were all doing it as a part-time job, right? Everybody else had other things that yeah. they were doing. Like everybody in the app works is working yeah. three or four jobs simultaneously yeah. and typical, typical applicant rates for fake going from phase ones to phase twos are like 50 ish percent. We were hitting 85% that were coming back with these MOUs, with these letters that were signed, then they had nothing. They had no colliders, they had no matching support. It was just, here's your contract, go do good things. Yeah. And a lot of those companies had never done business with the DOD before. Now, yeah. is that the right solution? No, but it, we had, we did see a lot of success there. And, and that has really kind of engendered our thesis that if you give entrepreneurs an opportunity and some capital, and sit back, they're gonna do some pretty amazing things. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, absolutely. And I'll say that um, from from what I've seen, they, there are definitely a number of entrepreneurs who are who are you know actively promoting and trying to find the use cases for their stuff. And and I think that uh, I think that opening up that sandbox of for exploration of these commercial you know uh, potentially dual use uh, you know solutions and and products, um, it it has uh, from my perspective it it. It is one of the things that really opened me up to to realizing we need significantly more self-motivated and self-propelled user discovery at the unit level, at the ground level, which is why I'm doing the work that I am. And I think that that's one thing that I would say maybe is not missing from, you know, like when I say that that's missing from the overall system, I'm not saying that's missing from from AppVenture's strategy, because like you just said, you're you're very limited in your capacity to 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 do what you do, but by opening that aperture, it it really highlighted, for, at least for me, and I think for a lot of people, that well, we don't actually know what we need at the unit yeah. level, and when yeah. somebody comes to us with a solution, we might not actually be equipped to say, yeah, let's take that, because I think that some people who kind of jumped the gun on that, they kind of let themselves be sold a little bit, have adopted solutions that didn't meet the the requirement that was underlying what what was actually wrong at the ground level which is yeah. why it needs to be paired with a really robust discovery capability at the ground level which is why we started uh, agitare and we're we're trying to promote these uh, you know design thinking and and all those and you know this this one of the things that i think sometimes people think and assume when they talk about innovation they're like oh my gosh every time we innovate it creates more problems yeah that's the nature of what innovation is i mean it's going to pull back layers of where there has to be continued growth and the yeah. people that oftentimes get very frustrated with innovation is they think oh we're going to innovate oh yeah mission accomplished the banners up the you know everything's been won that's not the <laughs> that's not the case sometimes you end up with more questions than you have answers but that's that is what this this productive model of trying to grow more efficient and trying to truly get the the uh, the the expertise and the understanding to be able to really get products and technologies and investments that are going to give a long-term strategy benefit. Sometimes you end up with more questions than answers. Sometimes it is a messy process. That's innovation, that's entrepreneurship. That's the nature of what these you know, these uh, Fortune 100 companies that have gone out and done it, I, they all have a story of when the crap hit the fan. They're like, oh my gosh, what are we going to do? Um, but that's the importance to persevere through, uh, in it, it persevere, through, persevere through the troubles, the frustrations, these moments where, like, well, how do we do this? Take a breath, f realize, you know what? This is, this is a good problem to have. This is a healthy challenge. We're going to work through it. And it, real quick before we wrap up, not to cut anybody off, but believe it or not, we've already blasted through our time. But one thing I want to do real quick is, is Jason, Jason, before you have a ch chance to, uh, to wrap us up here, what's one thing you want to be able to leave our listeners with? If there's one word of encouragement you could give to them in this defense innovation network and e ecosystem we have, what's one thing that you would encourage them to do um, that you've seen or just to keep in mind as they move forward as innovators? Wow. Uh, well, we're hiring, <laughs> so come work for us. I um, no love it. Love it. I I, uh, I, I think the, the one the one big uh, word of encouragement that I have is um, there are pathways now more so than have been there in, in my in history of my time in the Air Force, and I think in, in Dan and Trigger yours as well. You know the, the that there ever have been, and I only see growth. You know the new chief 
the new vice, the new chief master. So all, everybody's completely aligned with these mission objectives. And you have the opportunity to engage with communities as an Air Force uh, representative in a way that we never have before to, to drive capability onto your platform. So I'm sure you guys say this all the time, but I think it is a really important message. Don't undersell yourself. Don't undersell your problem or your needs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, we fund everything. So, you know, it's, uh, you know, drive in the capabilities that you think you need to do your mission. You know, don't take no for an answer. Yeah. That's good. That's good. Dan, parting shot around the horn. Yeah, no, I love that. And I, and I am encouraged by, uh, the growth of new, like, you know, new exploratory platforms, like, uh, like F ventures. And I've seen just, you know, like actually one of the things we didn't get to is I, I think that some of the people who, um, who are driving some of the most interesting and valuable cultural change in the air force are people who, who just for the first time had direct exposure to that commercial sector, whether it was through one of the mm -hmm. fellowships that are being offered or, uh, or because they were now engaging with industry and they realized that these technologies exist, or they realized that, you know, there's a whole other way of doing things than we've been doing. Yeah. And one thing that AFWorks is doing a great job of right now is just kind of like opening the curtains and letting that sunlight in. And yeah. some of that is really revealing some deep down problems that we have to now deal with. Yeah. Uh, but but like you said, Kinsley, that is a that is going to be a part of the innovation process. Yeah. I think I got to wrap up because I got a lawnmower right next to me. <laughs> no, that's good. You know, there, there, I guess my last parting shot would be this is that um, so often people think it's a bad thing to identify problems within your organization. Uh, I, I offer the, the contrary to that. I think it's a wonderful thing to identify problems in your organization. You know what that means? It means you have created a process that allows you to identify faults. It's called feedback. And I'll be the first one to say it in the last five, you know, 10 years of my Air Force career. In reality, you know how many times I've had a good feedback session of somebody taking the time to invest. And I think we can all say it. Let's hold up our, our vote on one hand. Right there. We say we do a good job of it, but we don't do a good job of it. But the reality is, if we want to continue growing as innovators and as a military and truly getting the, you know, the precipice of technology of what we need to do uh, for the, our mission required, we have to be willing to look at ourselves and our organizations uh, and our technology we're doing it and identify the areas where we are not doing well. And that's a good thing. And that's how you succeed. So I guess my word of encouragement to anybody out there, if you're a general, listen, listen to Trigger and, and, and Jason and Dan and Jordan, because here's the one thing, having problems isn't bad. Ignoring them is bad. I'll say it again. Having problems is not bad. It means you're able to identify what's going on. Ignoring them and saying this is just the way it is, that's where we, things become the problem. Honestly, so guys, it's been a blast. Jason, so we're gonna have you back. I mean, we have to because we didn't scratch the we didn't even scratch the surface of the goodness to discuss. So guys, thanks again so much for listening right here at Jason. Anything? What do you got? Hey, thank you guys for having me. Everybody, listen, disruptive AF. Yeah. It's yeah. true. Guys, All thank right. you so much. Make sure you subscribe if you're watching on YouTube. Hit the subscribe button and the bell that's over on the corner of the screen. And also make sure you subscribe if you're watching uh, on audio, whether it's YouTube, Google, or Apple iTunes. We got you covered right here on your favorite podcast at the edge of innovation. It's a disruptive AF. See you guys next week.